Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Alan Patel. And I'm Naomi Sheldon. And we're your hosts of The Pleasure Podcast. I'm a doctor specialising in sexual function. And I'm a writer with an interest in the intimate. We talk to guests to help us understand the relationship we have with our bodies when it comes to sex and intimacy. It's a whole new kind of sex education for your owl... Careful. ...pleasure. (laughs) On this episode of The Pleasure Podcast, we welcome a multi-talented actor, writer and regular co-host of The Guilty Feminist... She's genuine, warm, and ferociously loyal to her friends. She's one of my favourite people. It's stage and screens, Susan Wacoma. Susie was named one of Forbes 30 Under 30 in 2017 and a BAFTA breakthrough Brit in the same year. Her breakthrough role as Cynthia in Chewing Gum firmly put her on the map as one of the UK's most brilliant comedy actors, and she continues to bring huge depth and generosity to all of her roles. You can see her right now on All Fours Year of the Rabbit and in Truth Seekers, a new Amazon Prime series out later this year. Susie opens up to us about a long-term relationship she had with a partner who she's since identified as a narcissist. In the interests of anonymity, they are never named. None of us are psychotherapists in this ep, but we have all encountered narcissists on various ends of the spectrum. We discuss how gaslighting and other narcissistic techniques of manipulation and control can throw your sense of reality out of orbit and erode your all-important gut instinct. We look at how to identify a narcissist and what to do if your friends or you suspect you're in a relationship with one. She throws light on the intersectionality of what a victim is and isn't allowed to look like in society and how this might particularly prevent black women being taken seriously when it comes to abusive relationships. Susie is incredibly brave and eloquent in this interview and she hopes that if even one person is helped by her sharing her experiences, then it's a job well done. And we agree. Oh, and always beware when someone tells you their ex-girlfriend is crazy. It may just be a red flag. My notion of romance happened when I was like a teenager and when I got really into a boy band. Um, I'm going to say who it was. It was Westlife. I'm so ashamed. Thank you for saying it. Yes. And I remember just like laying in bed and daydreaming about them. And like that was the first time that I'd ever sort of daydreamed about like going on a date or a wedding. So... That was kind of like the most romantic Disney kind of idea of love that I think I ever had, which I think is in keeping with a lot of teenage girls where you sort of go for a a Beatles mania. Um, And then that swiftly died. (laughs) 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 I mean, actual boys and men and thinking, oh, they're not Westlife. The thing that I'd sort of built up about this boy band was that they were extremely sensitive and they sang about their feelings and they tell you, they just tell you that they loved you. Like, no problem. And then... The kind of boys that I was meeting, feeling uncertain about how they felt about you seemed to be commonplace. Making you feel insecure, that's the pain. And I, that 
freaked me out once yes. I realised that was quite common. The more uncertain, as you say, and insecure that you leave a partner, mm. the more power you hold for yourself. Yeah. Um, which seems very unfair and dishonest, as you say. Yeah. There is an evolutionary trait to that, because if you are hunting something and yeah. you want it desperately, you will put all of your energy and all your focus on that one thing. Yeah. And, or if you're not getting something as well, yeah. you will put your focus on hunting that thing. Yeah. So if someone pays hard to get, yeah. or you're uncertain, that even hyper-stimulates your sense of being oh, a hunter. Right, right. Oh, I just, I really hate it. I actually think it's more courageous to be honest about how you feel and for that to be seen as like a weakness or to be exploited yeah it was heartbreaking once I realized went into the dating world and thought oh my gosh this is commonplace and so I was as I got older then trying to find people who were really honest and then you meet people who pretend that they know that you're searching for that and so they kind of shapeshift into that and that got me into some trouble as well yeah. so it's been brilliantly um importantly honest about um experience of sort of narcissism mm -hmm. and have been very helpful to a lot of people i think pinpointing what the experience of being in those sorts of relationships can be mm -hmm. and do you feel like that your openness wearing your heart on your sleeve was was used against you then yeah 100 percent. i guess I knew what a narcissist was in that I thought that a narcissist was somebody who posted a lot of pictures on Instagram. So I was like, oh, I must be a narcissist. I knew that the idea of a narcissist is like loads of actors wanting attention. Yeah. And I thought, okay, oh, well, then there must it's be an element of narcissism. It's such a throwaway term, isn't it? Yeah. But I had no idea. I didn't know that it was on a spectrum. Yeah. Um, and I didn't understand really the damage that it could cause. But yes, ultimately... I got into a situation because I am too honest and open. But then I feel like I'd rather be that. Yes, the experience hasn't made you want to change that. It nearly did. Mm. It nearly did. There was a point a couple of months after the fallout of this particular relationship where I was terrified of people. I was terrified of people because this particular relationship felt very honest and open, that this person being very genuine and loving and I realised that this person had lied about pretty much everything. Everything, like head to toe. And I'd never, of course people tell white lies, I've told white lies, but, um, or big lies, yeah. but just not so many, <laughs> not just so many, and pathologically and absolute without care of, you may be finding out that these things were lies. They just tell another lie to cover it up. And realising that I had been with somebody for quite a while, who'd done that made me so scared because I was like, ultimately, I don't know the difference between some when somebody's lying or telling the truth. Maddening. Yeah, and, and I actually had something happen. This was a very physical feeling. So about a couple of weeks after um, the fallout of this relationship, I uh, went to work. I w was doing a, a film with somebody and um, a short film and I remember being picked up by the director who was a lovely guy and because he lived near me and we were going to go on to set and I remember waking up thinking oh I feel really capable and strong and this is going to be so fun and it's good people and I got into his car and he said good morning and I was like good morning and then I instantly felt terrified I thought I don't know who this man is I'm in his car um I don't feel safe and I had to say to him, he was talking to me being very, really jolly. And I just said, um, do you mind if I just, uh, I'm just gonna fall asleep. I didn't get enough sleep last night. Is that all right? And he's like, yeah, sure, sure. And I had a very quiet panic attack in the back of his car. 
And um, at the time, I didn't know that this was all happening. I just felt very afraid. So I got out of the car and I thought, okay, what the hell was that? Okay, just get on with it, Susan. And then bumped into everybody, you know, sound, costume, and, you know, people are having to like put a mic on you. Um, they're having to do your makeup. They're having to put clothes on you. Try this. And the people touching me started to really freak me out. Really, really freak me out. And I was really upset. I had to take myself to the toilet. I had to cry. Came back out again. People talking to you, giving you notes. The proximity of people was freaking me out. Um, and so then at lunchtime, I uh, went around the corner. I had a cry. I spoke to two friends who both been through situations, but very, very separate and far-reaching. And spoke to them and I explained what was going on. I, was like, I feel very, very scared of everybody. I don't want anyone touching me. This is the opposite of what I'm like on set. And um, they said, in their different ways, because they're very different, um, and they were like, oh, I know what it is. When you're at work, people are arriving as their work persona. No one's sitting down going, hi, my name is this, and this is what I've been through. They're pretending. And you're finding it really terrifying to be around that. Because I had to really clear the deck in terms of people around me. Um, one of the things that I read up uh, about was that you can't, this is not the time to have anyone on the fence yeah. around you who sort of kind of doubts what happened to you or plays devil's advocate. You have to be militant. So I had all my friends who were just like, we believe you, we're with you. And so when you go to a work environment and everyone's sort of, you know, they're a bit glazed eyes and, you know, they're at work, they're not going to yes. tell you their life. I suppose there's all those different levels of pretense that we, yes. ca that we do naturally. Of course. As our presentation in different situations yeah. so but I was hyper vigilant yes. of that and mm. I couldn't for a while I couldn't bear it I couldn't bear it but once I knew that that was what it was I felt a lot calmer and I could deal with it and then the rest of the shoot was fine yeah. but I had to be very careful that going into like I remember going to the supermarket I found very difficult I was like I can't choose anything I can't pick anything and I'm so decisive I'm like bam 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 sandwich duh, duh, duh. and I just couldn't and I remember speaking to my therapist at the time and she was like, yes, what's happening is that you're doubting everything. You're just doubting everything. Because you'd lost your gut instinct because... Precisely. It's interesting yeah. how yours became generalised rather than specific. Oh yeah, it was everything, everything and everyone. And so it was the, when I, you know, was told by people, you know, you've really got to be militant with your care and your um, recovery. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know that it meant everything because I... But the crucial thing about that, actually, at the heart of it was, I had an inkling, I had a gut feeling about this particular person that I didn't listen to. So it's not just going, I've been completely duped. I didn't listen to my gut feeling. This is something we talked about with Emma Thompson, wasn't it? And she was mm. writing a pamphlet for her daughter, Gaia, yeah. about wow. um, recognising your brain, heart and loin centres mm. and working out, are they all in accordance yeah. or are they in discordance? And mm. if there's a voice that's discordant, taking time to work out what that means for you. Yeah. And I think everyone can know a time where you are either falling in friendship with a person yeah. or falling in love with a person and you're kind of thinking... There's something a little bit off with them, mm -hmm. but I don't know what it is, but there's the other parts of me are thinking, oh no, this is really fun and they're really enjoyable, they're yeah, really handsome or whatever it is that yeah. they are. And you kind of gloss over, don't yes. you? Well, you turn down the volume on the gut instincts that's saying, <sighs> this doesn't feel right. Mm. And that because you're, well, there are other things that sort of make up for it, yeah. That, yeah. that outweigh yeah. this, this voice that's a bit irritating, actually. Let's yeah. turn it right down. But then how do you turn that volume back up again? It, 
takes a lot of time. I don't think I'm 100% there. Um, but then my gut will like scream at me like very loudly now. And I'm like, okay, it's telling me something, just leave, oh, wow. just walk out the room. Wow. Oh yeah. There was somebody that I went on a date with and we went into a subway. Um, <laughs> glamour. <I> glamour. <laughs> and uh, he spoke to a staff member in a way that was so slightly rude, but my body just went, leave. And I just made an excuse and I Thank you, buddy. Yeah, I just went, and also sort of not apologising to go, I need to explain to you um, how I feel. I just was like, I'm out, I'm going to make an excuse, I'm going to go. Brilliant. And yeah, Brilliant. and I just got myself out of there. He probably just was in a bad mood, but I thought, I don't need, there's millions, billions of people on the earth, don't need to kind of make allowances for absolutely everyone. If I just feel a bit, I'm just going to listen yes. to it. And of course, there's levels and degrees of that. But again, when you're sort of healing, just listen to your gut, just give it a chance, like much more than you have. I suppose there might be quite a few people out there who might be wondering if their partner is a narcissist or not, yeah, yeah. or is a bad guy or girl, yeah, woman. Yeah. Um, and I wonder, how are you able to identify narcissist? And how is it important to make that distinction between that and just people who do bad shit? Yeah, I know, this is the ongoing thing, isn't it? And I do ultimately think that, what's the saying? Hurt people hurt people. So it's, it is hard. I feel like the signs, the biggest, biggest sign was my gut. There was a couple of points earlier on in the relationship where I spotted something that was wrong. Um, no, in fact, I'll be even uh, sort of more transparent. There was a lie that I figured out, a very blatant lie, a lie that you just, <laughs> it was just a lie. Yeah, I'd just been lied to, to my face. Yes. And I knew that and I remember um, being in bed once I'd realised this lie, this overt lie, just going, I'm not too sure who I'm sleeping next to. Mm. And I decided to rationalise it. I rationalised myself out of the lie, but he told a lie. It's amazing the stories we'll tell ourselves oh to convince God. ourselves these are okay. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But what that did, which was interesting, is that it was a... a there was kind of like before and after the lie. Before the lie, I was uh, super in love, really happy, really confident, but that niggling feeling of, hmm, just something isn't right, but it's based on nothing, based on absolutely nothing. Um, and then post the lie, I then became paranoid, insecure. Um, my confidence just nosedived. There was a point actually in terms of work where I didn't know something had happened and I didn't know what to choose or what to do. And I remember crying on the floor to my partner at the time and saying, I can't hear my gut. I actually said that. Wow. This is pre-knowing that my gut had anything to do with what was going on. I said, I can't hear her. I can't hear her. Can't Normally I have that feeling where it's like, don't do that, don't do that, do that, that's wrong, don't do that. And I just couldn't hear anything. And gen genuinely there was before and after the lie wow. um, that descended. And I guess, in terms of the signs, so there was the, uh, the lie, um, my gut, and then at the end, there was just more lies. And the volume of the lies as they came made me go, it was so strange, I just got stronger. As each one arrived, and there were several, I mean, the whole point was to sort of bamboozle you, yes. make you doubt yourself, and they were coming at me thick. And like, honestly, it was just like, lovely, lovely relationship. And then it was like, it needed to end. Mm. My partner at the time decided it had to end and it was fury. It was like 
Jekyll and Hyde didn't recognise this person. And the lies were like, boom, boom, boom. This person said this about you. This happened here. This happened here. You're this. You're that. Like, telling me who I am. And actually, the furiousness of the lies, something kicked in. Something absolutely kicked in where I just went, you're wrong. And you're trying to tell me about myself. It was so strange. It was kind of like I'd been backed into a corner and I just woke up and was like, this is weird. It's like the mongoose and the snake, isn't it? Mm. What's mm. the mongoose and the snake? Well, just like, so a snake is generally something feared by most animals. Yeah. And if, if the mongoose is cornered by the snake, the mongoose can lash out and kill the snake. Mm-hmm. And the idea of us having a sense of ourselves, that is our true, honest self, where it can see what's going on with the yeah. world. Mm-hmm. And it knows that this situation is not true. Yes. It knows who you are and what you are. Mm-hmm. And therefore, it suddenly protects you. Yes, that's exactly what happened. I was not connected with it. It just happened. And then I have an amazing group of friends. So the moment that I even started suggesting that things were wrong, they all came in from all sides like, we had a feeling. We had a feeling. And now that you're saying this, this makes sense. And this makes sense. And this makes sense. But that's so dangerous because if you are the friend that is agreeing, if, however, they have a challenging patch yeah. and they start, and your, you know, your friend starts to say, actually, they're a bit of a wrong one, yeah. and you agree, yeah. when they get back together or if they get yeah. back together, yeah. you can be ostracised. Yes. So it's actually a really difficult thing for your it's friends hard. to... Well, so your friends must really love you yeah. on the basis <laughs> that actually they will pile in because the risk is their loss of you. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was... The fallout of this was extraordinary because there was quite a few of my friends who were like, we were uncomfortable. We were uncomfortable with it. And I understand now why they didn't say anything. But for a while I was angry because I was like, I'll tell you what, if I'd known how you felt about this person, the point where I would have left was the lie. And I didn't. And also, but actually, I think... Sorry, are you sure? Of? The fact that you had left at that point. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Okay, no, 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 I know what you mean. I've had to think about that. I've had to think about that a lot. I would have left. I would have left. Um, Absolutely would have left because the lie was just so overt. I probably would have maybe gone back. (laughs) (laughs) Probably would have left and come back, but I definitely would have like left. Um, But one thing that I think is important is when I met this person, I wasn't ready for a relationship. In fact, I really wanted to sort of take a big break from relationships and all of that. And this person laid it on thick, uh, which I now know is called love bombing. (laughs) Um, You know, of course, relationships are all different, but I was suspicious when my partner asked me a couple of months into our relationship to move in with them. Because I was like, I wouldn't... I want someone in my house. <laughs> I don't know. I think you're great, but that's odd. But I remember, you know, talking to my friends about it. And I'm very, uh, in terms of like my family situation, housing situation, I've never really had my own space. I shared a room with my brother until I was like well into my teens and it was really awkward and we had a small house and, you know, for the amount of kids. So as an adult, I've really valued my own space. And I was living somewhere at the time that I really loved. It wasn't fancy or anything, but it was in a park London that I really loved and didn't want to move. And I remember speaking to a couple of my friends about this proposal. And I was like, it's really weird. Like, why, why on earth would anyone want to live with me? And all my friends picked up on that. They were like, ah, you think you're, you don't deserve happiness. You think you don't deserve love. And I remember when this person said, I love you, which was so soon, like weeks in. And 
I didn't feel the same way. Um, but I said I love you anyway because that's what you do. And um, I know, silly. And But I remember speaking to my friends, like a proper, you know, the WhatsApp group going, this has just happened, what happens? Like, I don't understand. All my friends saying, you just don't believe that you deserve love. Just dive in. Shut, I'm, I'm basically, I'm blaming all my friends. Very <laughs> <laughs> handy. No, but it's interesting because you believe your friends in the sense that they said that, you know, they thought he was a bit of a wronger. Yeah. But actually, they were the ones that were also egging you on. So it's not, yeah. it's, it's the, the, a friend relationship is a very complex animal. Totally, totally. In terms of how you support someone's relationship. It makes me think about who narcissists choose. And there we have it. Yeah. Somebody who doesn't believe they deserve the love. Yeah. Oh, completely. There's no fun in picking somebody who really deeply loves themselves. And I think that for a woman like me in the industry that I'm in, where you're constantly being told that you're not quite right, in the wider world where you're constantly being told you're not quite right, in terms of love, we're talking about romantic love, being lovable, being attractive, being desired, it's very easy for you to not feel great. And that's something that I've constantly battled. this whole situation, as well as proving my absolute weaknesses and the holes in you know, myself that I need to be filled by self-love, I also know that there was a point, I was the mongoose, where I kicked back. So ultimately, there is something in me that goes, enough. So both of those things mm. are true. Yes. But definitely, when it comes to romantic love, yes, I do feel not as lovable as I probably should feel because I'm great. And, you know, there's massive insecurities that being love-bombed can kind of bamboozles you. And that's what happened with me. And my friends, they weren't being horrible. They were just going, you're great. We love you. So, of course, this strange person who's just arrived in your life a minute ago is going to love you. Because we love you. But, you know, they were talking about someone they didn't know. Mm. Could you explain what love-bombing is? When you meet somebody... They basically bomb you with love. (laughs) They tell you how amazing you are and brilliant and gorgeous and wonderful and... Actually, that's kind of what you're looking for. Mm. And this is what I mean. Uh, What I said before in terms of starting to date and then being made to feel insecure all the time by people. People not quite telling you how much they like you. Not quite texting you right back. Giving it a few days. I had somebody who would text me back immediately. He would call me back immediately. everything you ever wanted. Yes. It was so... I remember the first time I met this person and we sat across this dinner table and the way they looked at me was like, there's no one else in the room. But do you know what? Very attractive. Very attractive. I found it a bit creepy. Really? Yeah, I did. I was like, why are you looking at me? Oh, pray. But then I thought, thought, oh, my insecurity. I'm being insecure. Of course you're going to look at me. I'm great. What's your warning and what's your insecurity? And it's so difficult to know where the Venn diagram of that overlaps. I don't know. I didn't know. But it just, so when this kind of like unleashing of love happened, of course it felt amazing, but I felt insecure. So I was constantly battling this oh my God, this feels amazing, but why? How do they know? They don't know. I haven't said enough. I, haven't, I literally haven't spoken enough. Like, how do you know? Yeah. And so, um, I mean, gosh, I remember when all this happened and everyone was like, oh, have you seen that Netflix show, Dear John? Have you watched that? And I was like, I don't want to watch that. Um, but they have, it, it, you know, if you watch that show, it has a very overt, and it's a true story, very overt example of love, you know, holidays, gifts. Um, so it continues throughout the relationship. It's, it's definitely control. at the beginning. Okay. Definitely, definitely at the beginning to hook you in. And also if you have those shared memories, if you go on these lovely trips and holidays and yes. they, they feel really special, even though they're probably taking you somewhere that they've taken 
every other person. After the relationship, you then did a lot of research. You have read up on this shit. Oh my gosh, yeah, yeah. And I kind of enjoyed it. It was kind of a little bubble. I think all my friends were, this is the point where my friends were like, we are worried about you. And I was like, trust me, this is good. What a relief though, to then go, oh, these experiences marry up with what's been happening. It's making sense of a world that felt like it has crumbled around me. And just like, honestly, I've never read that period of time, I've never read so much stuff where I'd literally gasp or like burst into tears on the tube because it was somebody going, this is what's happened. You you once spoke to me about something called triangulation. So triangulation is when the person that you're with pits you against somebody else in order to make you feel insecure. So that happened a little bit early on uh, where he just dropped that he was going to see an ex for a coffee. And, And I was like, oh, cool. Like that's lovely we have a good time and then I sort of kind of started to spiral a little bit like oh but this ex is really really attractive and lovely and why aren't you with her and so it kind of happens a bit like that um but when towards the end they call it the discard Mm -hmm. the point where they're just like you need to go and it's abrupt and it's brutal um, it comes out of nowhere. Even though I've got all these gut feelings, I'm not feeling great, and I'm at the I'm post lie, so I'm feeling really insecure. I don't feel comfortable or confident in myself, but still the discard felt abrupt. And that's when triangulation happened. And without giving too much detail, he basically said a mutual friend had said something about me. And then he told that person. Uh, that I had lied. And then he sent me uh, a screenshot of a message of, because I said, you need to tell this mutual friend that you are lying. And so he sent a message to this person apologizing on my behalf. And he screenshotted the message and sent it to me saying, I've sorted it. And in the message, it basically just said, Susan overreacted. It didn't at no point say, I lied about this at all. And I thought, why would you send me proof that you're lying about me again. Mm. And that's the point. It's to cause distrust. And so this mutual friend, who's no longer a friend, thought that I would just gone crazy one night. Part of gaslighting as well, isn't it? Absolutely, and that's the, what it and is. And the way that you were talking about the the lie after lie. Yeah. And, and sometimes the, the lies are subtle, and yep. sometimes the lies are overt, and therefore yes. you slightly distrust your reality of the situation. Precisely. And you start to think that, oh, there's something wrong with you. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and they, they correct you. No, I didn't say that. I said this. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I've had narcissistic friendship where I started to write down our conversations after we they had They say them. that. That's a good thing to do, to and note I, down. And the, the, the opposite version, of, there's another version of triangulation, which I found really helpful, was because this friend would not let us meet any of his friends. <gasps> oh. So therefore, you never got a consistent story about their background, about their parental behaviour, all these stories that are being told to mm-hmm. you about how awful their parenting was, how awful um, their friends have been, how awful yeah. their relationship was, mm-hmm. to draw your attention from you, to draw... I mean, it was like... Sympathy. I mean, I describe them as an emotional vampire. So triangulation, from my point of view, is there's no reference point to work out where you exist in space. Yes. That's, that's really fascinating. Good. So after after, that's fascinating. after yeah. you had told me about the term triangulation once yeah. we were chatting about it, and I just sort of played on my mind, because I have a, an ex who I feel certainly might exist on that spectrum, or mm. some of their behaviours are a bit like that. But uh, we were on the phone and something happened about their current partner, yeah. that they had were always saying that this current partner 
really hates me, even though she, she's never met me. Yeah. And, you know, and he's so sorry about that. Uh, and I suddenly saw what was happening mm. and went, oh, but I n I'll never know. I'll never know if she feels that way. Yeah, no, no, you won't. will never let us meet or we'll never be in the same. Precisely. Uh, and it's allowing you to play the saviour and the hero in the middle of this. Yes. Yeah. And pitting us against each other. Yes. And I don't know this woman. <laughs> and I was able to actually put a stop to that relationship. Oh, And um, the sort of the tail end of it. Yeah. Of going, actually, no, cut off. Yeah. I don't want to be uh, the recipient of these games anymore. Yeah. And actually being able to see that pattern, mm. to identify it so clearly, yeah. was a huge relief. Yeah. And enabled me to go, nope, I'm going to throw away that key now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So yeah. I think hearing about the patterns and then identifying them and then making up your mind as to whether you want that stuff in your life yeah. or not is yeah. very empowering. I, mean, so just, I want to talk back about sort of narcissism itself because narcissistic behaviours, and, and I, you know, I'm, I'm not a psychologist but I have done some reading in this area, narcissism is an idea of projection of an idealised self yes. to protect a very vulnerable, yes. a very, um, insecure person. Yeah. So if you are constantly telling the world how amazing you are, uh, sort of bigging yourself up, being very fragile against criticism, being very oh, easily bounced yeah. about. We can certainly think about certain world, world leaders who might have these sort of personality um, uh, traits, um, particularly. Um, but that sort of behaviour of creating an ideal self is actually exhausting. Yeah. It takes a lot of their time, energy and support. And also it's not very good for them because actually you recognise that people then find out that you have not told the truth yeah. and that disrupts a relationship and then you've got to find another one. Yeah. Um, and actually that itself is, you're be, you're, you become vulnerable partly because you also get rejected each time. Yeah. So even though you might have felt that you were you remember some sort of narcissistic injury, yeah. some sort of yeah. issue when you were a child that you remember as if you were discarded abruptly and that has caused this perhaps oh, yeah. this behaviours that you've, uh, you've, you've exhibiting now, you can't quite marry that up. Mm. You suffered the injury, no one else does. No one else has the ability to feel that way. Yeah. Only you can. So I feel great sadness for people who have you know, significant narcissistic yes. traits or disorders because actually to not necessarily know how someone else feels, to not have the level yeah. of empathy, to recognise when someone else is hurt. But actually often narcissists don't learn that until the, a tragic event has happened yeah. and they're so shocked that they actually go, Oh, something might be there, and you have to want to change. And I think it's so difficult That's to do what's so. So difficult. In terms, I remember seeing. Uh, I saw a couple of therapists, and because um, I was going, you know, the classic thing that happens. You go, "Am I the narcissist?" When you start reading about it, you're like, "Is that me? Is that me?" And I remember asking my therapist about this. How do I know it's not me? How do I know it's not me? And she went, "No, because you have tremendous empathy for people." I was like, is that the only... She's like, yeah, that's, that's it, Brayton. <laughs> you have a lot of empathy for people. It's not... It's... No. She's like, what you do have is attachment issues. <laughs> Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. You don't want to ever get to a point where you're like, I am the saint in the middle of all this. I'm the wronged person. I'm the good person. And that's what I find found really hard about this particular breakup. 
I'm somebody who likes to have culpability in something. So if I break up with somebody or we fall out, I'm like, okay, where did I go wrong? Because if I learn where I've gone wrong, then I can maybe not do that again. Yeah. And, you know, I do like to have a chat with people and go, you know, what did ha- what happened? And with this, it was so abrupt. It was like I, it was like this person died. They were there and they weren't. And so you're like, I, how do I learn anything from this? If I'm just learning that they're this bad person, how do I learn? How do I learn? And I hated that. Sometimes to save yourself, though, you have to make them the baddie to yeah. survive. And yeah. then after a little while, you can go, oh. Yeah. There were, li- there were parts of my behaviour. And, and you, know, you, can, you can just about stomach that for a bit and then you have to see them as a baddie again. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. And, and then it's a long process before you realise your perhaps codependency or your attachment issues. Yeah. Or- it does take a while before you start doing that introspection. I think that you need to do all the research. You do need, they need to be the baddie. Because actually, it doesn't matter. I remember when my therapist would always be like, oh, you know, why? Why are they like that? She's like, this is a trap. If you keep going down the route of like, why, why, why? You're leaving yourself vulnerable for when they might return. And this is a huge thing. I have been warned so many times about them, people returning. One of the ways that they can you sort of leave yourself vulnerable to that is by going, oh, but but they went through this and probably the reason why they behave like this is this and, and it just makes you vulnerable. And I've spoken to people um, who've been involved with this person who many, many, many years later have that door wide open. And actually that made me go, yeah, shut that door. <laughs> when you go through all this kind of like realization education learning and you're like oh my gosh that person discarding me or me making the decision to go actually enough was the best thing that doesn't do that much for their ego when literally your life is a living testimony that it's better that they're not around is not good and so my therapist was like you can't leave yourself vulnerable to them returning and one of the ways of doing that is giving too much sympathy understanding empathy but the wall is up and it has to be and i think that is where you know the naivety is a little bit lost is that you learn to understand without opening yourself up to people the forgiveness is for you not for them yes you're finding closure in yourself yes rather than needing them for it one of the things about being quite open and honest about what has happened to me is that people don't believe you and I think that that's the case with anybody it's really hard it's really hard to prove this stuff and there's nothing like particularly illegal although I know that things are changing in that in that respect but there's nothing particularly illegal that's happened and I think that a lot of the reactions that I got was kind of like yeah but isn't that bad yeah but this happens a lot and I'm like yeah just because it happens a lot doesn't mean that's it's okay right. psychological abuse yeah but one of the things that I've and this is where the kind of intersection of I think race comes into it was the idea of me being a victim Mm. of anything I found it hard to swallow that I'd been the victim of something Mm -hmm. and I know for a fact that there was a lot of people um make it sound like loads of people know but there were some people who didn't see me as a victim of this kind of abuse and you feel that that's because you're a black woman oh yeah because you know you're strong because you can this happens in you know in all sorts of aspects of my life that people don't think that you're vulnerable yeah and so there were loads of people, and it wasn't just you know white people around me, it was other black women yeah. that just didn't believe that this had happened to me 
because I don't exhibit signs of being vulnerable. Or I don't look like a victim. Yeah. I don't look like, you know, somebody who goes, who's in a Netflix TV movie, who goes through this sort of thing. They don't look like me. Like the thin white woman that runs away in the first scene of a horror we, movie yes. is always going to exactly. get killed. Face exactly. to the camera, yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. When I met my new therapist, she just said, okay, talk to me. So I said everything. She was like, you 100% encountered a narcissist. And then I was like, right, how do you know that? How can you say that? She's like, well, the thing is, these are diagnosable disorders. So I know the symptoms. And so I can tell you, I can't tell you where on the spectrum. I can't tell you why it's happened. We can probably guess, but I can tell you, you are able to diagnose it. Yes. Because there are symptoms. Yes. The thing that's been helpful about my therapist was realizing what were the things about me that not allowed, it's very difficult to find the language, but what were the things that made, made me a bit of an open goal for this sort of thing? And that has been really, really interesting and painful to admit and realise is what are the things that haven't been instilled in me? What are the things that I now have to learn? But also this kind of thing, particularly my situation, I had somebody mirror all the things that I felt I was lacking. So love, adoration, safety, home. This person really promoted themselves as like a homebody. He doesn't really like to go out, really monogamous, would hammer that home, super, super. And then I found out that that was a lie, like not just in our relationship, but in pretty much all of their relationships. But that was something that um, they knew was important to me and they just mirrored everything that I was looking for. So I was like, right, I don't think that what I was looking for were bad things. No, <laughs> I felt like they very were like reasonable. Good things. Yeah. So what do I need to change? And my therapist was like, you just need to have all these things for yourself. You should feel safe within yourself. You should love yourself. You should be there for yourself. You should be, she's like, you've just got to have that and not need it from other people. I mean, I think I, mean, I have narcissistic behaviours, like most people do, yeah. um, but I don't think I'm a true narcissist. I think I just feel empathically, it yes. must be so unpleasant to be the person that always has to put up this facade. Yeah, Because always. actually, if you ever let anyone through this very fragile, thin carapace, mm. they would just see this thing inside. And that, after a while, that happened, where I was like, oh my gosh, this person or these people that I've experienced in my life must be so exhausted mm. and tired. And there were certain points where, of course, in relationships, you'll see somebody's flaws and you might pick it up. And the biggest thing in this relationship was when I noticed, there were, actually it's only happened really overtly once where my ex-partner was quite rude to somebody. Not in a bad, not in a particularly bad way, but I just spotted it and I was a bit like, oh, just put a lid on that because that was, I could tell that you were quite bored with them speaking. And my partner lost it, absolutely lost it. And the thing that they kept repeating was, I'm good. I'm good, I'm wow. a good person, wow. I'm good, but I'm good. Whenever we would have fights, which wasn't that often, I'll be honest, but the thing that uh, they would always lead with was, I'm good, I'm a good person, but I treat you good, I'm good, but I'm good, you'll never meet anyone as good as me, I'm good, I'm good though, I'm good. It's so binary, isn't it? But I remember there was one post lie, uh, where he said that once and I went, and I went, but good is bare minimum. You're good to strangers on the street. You don't deserve a cookie for being good. Of course, you, you should be good to me. You should be good to me. And I remember seeing his face sort of change when I said that. And I feel, I'm not surprised now looking back that the discard happened, because what was happening was actually, even though I was feeling deeply insecure and confused and being gaslit, I was starting to go, how in a minute, being good? 
Of course you should be good. You're good to strangers. You're good to people who don't like you. That's the point. And I could tell that I wasn't making them feel all those things at the beginning of the relationship. Because what happens is you feel great and you love somebody and they're great and they're amazing. They are good. And then you start going, oh, they are good, but they're doing that wrong. And the moment that you start picking up on that and feeling comfortable enough to say, they start looking for somebody else who can make them feel good. It's, it's, oh God, it is very, very brutal. One of the, in terms of triangulation, that what you said was interesting, um, in terms of friendships, that they were very, very careful about who they introduced me to. Basically, it was mainly people who had known him uh, in the last few years. And then if I did meet any older friends, these were friends that I only met maybe once in the whole time that we were together, like a couple of times. But the people that I was allowed to sort of meet repeatedly were people that had known them for a comparatively short time. And then when we broke up and when people started speaking to me about this person, these were people who'd known uh, this person for many, 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 many years. And they were like, yes, well, there's this story and this happened and this happened with this other person. This, And then you go, wow. It felt like... It felt like a lot of people knew. It felt like a lot of people saw us together and knew, um, was probably judging me. And I had no idea. I, because I did ask, I asked a few people like, oh, what's this person? Like, oh my God, it's great, ma. And then realizing, oh wow, I now have to have a CRB check on everybody that I date now. I need at least five references um, spanning 25 years, like, because, Actually, all I had to do was dip my toe out of like five years and I just got all this about them and I felt deep shame, actually. You had once mentioned about the kind of people in these relationships who these narcissists keep as... uh, I wish I could remember the... There's a specific term for... I know what you're talking about, flying monkeys. Oh. Which is such a horrible term. I don't know. I'm sure there's a better term. And so you have these people who even though it's not said, they know the character of the person that they're friends with, but they don't want to, they don't want to do anything about it. I found that quite a bit, and I think that's quite, it's about, how do I explain it? Is that the term that you're thinking of, actually? I think so, like the allies that they yeah, keep with them, yes. who so basically gaslight you as well. Yeah. So it's like the, the flying monkeys of the Wicked Witch of the West. Yeah. What I've had to learn is that some of these people, these friends, acquaintances, um, are being as manipulated as you are. Um, and they may, it may not be a romantic love, um, but they're kept around. And these people make you feel like you are crazy. That it just didn't happen. I remember there was one mutual friend um, who actually knew, I knew this friend before I got with this person. And when it all sort of imploded, I you know, said, oh my gosh, I've just found out this, da, da, da. And I remember the message that I got back was something like, it was so robotic, like, I'm sorry that you're having a hard time. I hope that you feel better. I was like, I, I don't. This isn't a cold. I didn't say. I didn't say that. Yeah. No, what I said was this, 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 and they just went. Hope you feel great. Let's go for a dance one day. And I was just like, I, I what? That I'm talking about being gaslit, and they just didn't want to engage. That's very hard. Yeah, you. it was brutal. Do you have you started dating again? I have actually. Yeah. <laughs> I started dating quite soon after. I no, because I was like, I'm not. I, I thought what? Well, I, well, I thought I'm never going to date again. 
I thought, I'm never going to date again. How can I trust anyone? I've got to do all this work. Loads of people say, do the work, do the work. Because I'm like, I'm doing the work. Oh, I'm doing work. And then, uh, then, <laughs> and then people arrived, um, <laughs> which was kind of weird. I really wasn't looking to date. And then I met a few <laughs> really lovely men. Uh, one included like an ex that I hadn't really kind of, I thought that, you know, we'd sort of tied everything up and we sort of met and we were able to talk about stuff and there was like a really lovely closure. Nice. Um, and also reminded me of, because I, I st- was questioning, like you said, was this just a bad relationship that just ended really wrong or had I been with somebody who was gaslighting me and manipulating me? Um, whether that's from their pain or whatever, but had that happened? And one of the good things was meeting this ex and meeting other exes and going, oh, these are people who may not have done great stuff or I may not have done great stuff, but they're not bad people. You can have messy relationships and messy endings, actually, and it's just humans. Yeah, you can be kind to each other, even. Yes, there is messy, complicated relationships and then there's abuse. Yeah, and then, so after that, I actually uh, saw somebody who was quite a bit younger than me. That relationship, or fling or whatever, sort of reminded myself that I could be fun. Because I felt like I was never going to be funny again. And I remember saying to quite a few friends, like, I feel like there's a before me of all this and then an after me and that's it. And there was one friend who'd been through the same thing with somebody else who said, you're right, you won't be the same, but you'll be better. You'll be so much better. And this kind of like thing that I didn't really want to happen was just so joyful and fun and uncomplicated. And I was like, oh gosh, yeah, I'm... And to have somebody go, oh my God, but you're so fun. And I remember sort of asking, I was like, what? what is it about, what is it about me? Like, you should, what is it? And he was just like, but you're, he was like, you don't, what did he say? He said something like, you, he's like, you don't know what it's like when you walk into rooms. <sighs> I was like, oh. I'm just fully, you need to God, piss. I mean, it's such a delicious snack. I'm, I'm just like, I was just like, that little bit, that little bit of zhuzh that you need to your life that yeah. just lifts you a moment where you're feeling yeah. really great. And I can see that people who've had a significant experience in their lives, mm. It's like the veil's been lifted or the naivety mm, has been stripped mm. away. And you want your naivety to away. I mean, I, I want to believe the best in all of my yes. friends and my patients and my lovers and all, all, all these groups of people that exist in my life. Yeah. I want to feel the best for them and kind for them. But actually, once you've had the, the narcissism, manipulatory behavior, yeah. sociopathy, yep. uh, uh, yep. Uh, you know, uh, psychopath behavior in different ways, yeah. you kind of go, Where's uh, my not, Westlife boys? Yeah, <laughs> no, exactly, no, but that's exactly it. And you think, but that is so true. And I missed. I thought, okay, goodbye, this is it. Now, this is the rest of my life and I'm really going to be sad and serious. And just to have that little reminder of going, no, 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 that person's still there. And then that was a really crucial moment where I went, oh, so that sort of fling ended and it was great. And I thought, oh, the fight, the fight isn't just, you know, get out of this and look amazing and do great work. The way that you win is that you still maintain and grow your optimism and your joy and your belief in people that's how you win i refuse to be sad and not trust people you just have to trust people and trust your gut and that's it and that's where i'm at now thank goodness was there any feelings of duty or responsibility towards his exes or future partners yeah, it's I really did. T- that's a real well, tough as a feminist, one. I was just like, well, I've got to tell the world. Um, 
<laughs> and then I just, and then my really great core friendship group were just like, no, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't. Yeah. Go and heal. Go and heal, my friend. And I'm like, no. And they're like, nope. You don't have to. There was one uh, woman who reached out to me who uh, I'd never heard of because that was a theme. Yeah. I was like, hello. And I'm like, who are you? When? When did you? When did you happen? They're like, yeah, it happened um, at this point. Um, and I, her message was extraordinary. She sent me a message. She went, hi. I've sort of heard that this has happened and I'm sending you a message just to tell you that what you experienced was real. What happened to you was real. This person is like this and you will get through it. And that was the message. And I eventually replied and we had extensive chats about what had happened. She was many years before me and um, extensive chats. And we actually ended up meeting um, for the first time, um, which was really lovely to meet this person who had dedicated so much time to making me feel better. Yeah, I yeah. was wondering if you had any advice for anyone, obviously not as an expert, but through yeah, lived experience, yeah. um, for somebody who feels that they might be potentially stuck in a narcissistic relationship mm -hmm. or they have a friend who they think, might, they suspect might be. Oh, that's hard. The friend, I'll start with the friend one because that's really, 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 really hard. So for the few friends who did feel like something was wrong, whatever, and didn't say anything, I understand that. I completely understand that you don't want to lose a friend. But nine times out of 10, that friend who's in that relationship probably has a niggling feeling that something is wrong. I would always err on the side of say something. Sensitively, and also with the knowledge that your friend might <laughs> bite your hand off. And also be, be around that relationship, like go out, suggest going out with them and dinner and get to know that person. Like be in the spaces where things are possibly said so that you can remind your friend. Mm -hmm. Because one of the things that was really difficult was there were things that were said, in my instance, and there was no one else there. No witnesses. You just, well, I, being isolated from your friends is a really, really, really classic tactic. There were so many things that were happening, there was no one to witness it. And so I would say, if you have a friend who you feel that might be in a narcissistic relationship or you know, seeing somebody who's a gaslighter, or, is say something. Yeah. I would say something and be prepared that you might lose that friend for a bit. And if you suspect you might be in one of those relationships yourselves? Um, talk to a friend. Yeah. If you can, if you have the means, go and see a therapist. Because they will listen to what you're saying and they can string together the patterns of behaviour. Because actually, my situation, the word narcissist was first brought up by my counsellor. So my counsellor obviously we were talking about lots of other things. And then the breakdown of this relationship started and it was very abrupt. And she said very quietly to me, Susan, I think you might be in a relationship with a narcissist. And that was the first time it'd ever come up. And I was like, no, no, I'm not. That's not what this is. You're giving it a name and all it is is just, it's just a breakup. And she was like, I just go online and just Google narcissist. And she was like, and actually Google covert narcissist. So I went, oh, whatever. And I did. And honestly, I had that <gasps> moment where my I couldn't breathe. It was like somebody literally, I actually texted a friend saying that somebody like reached into my chest and like grabbed my heart a bit and made it stop. That's how it felt. Um, but kind of what you said in terms of uh, writing stuff down, noting stuff down, noting conversations. I remember when I then started noting stuff down, there was one day 
uh, he turned to me and said, <laughs> Susan, what's gaslighting? And this was sort of in the midst of the discard. And I went, oh, um, gaslighting is, oh, so it's, and I gave like a, I think my example was, oh, so it's kind of like, if you look outside and it's a blue sky and I say, oh, the sky's blue. And then uh, the person who you think is gaslighting you goes, no, it's not, it's grey. And then you go, oh, okay, it's grey. I was like, guess that's gaslighting. That's like a really basic. And you went, oh, okay, okay. And now I look back at that and I go, oh my God. He asked me to explain. A lot of the time they would tell you what they're doing. And there were things that he would literally say, this is happening or accuse me of doing what he's doing. There's a lot of clues in what they say. And so that's why noting stuff down is, is good and just being able to like, read over it but i would definitely say seek help read stuff online there's so much some of it is wrong some of it is bollocks but i do feel like when you are intensely in these relationships you will see the things that are absolutely what you're going through and beware when somebody says my ex-girlfriend is crazy <laughs> always never believe it it's never true it's like what did you do <laughs> never believe it that's another thing that's a very kind of like binary way of speaking but just if I'm very careful of that. Oh, my ex was crazy. I'm like, don't believe it. Yeah. Don't believe it. Thank you for listening to The Pleasure Podcast. If you enjoy this, do share, review and subscribe on iTunes. It really does help other people find us and helps to give the series a boost. Please do give us five stars. Thank you to Acast for hosting us. Matt Peaver for editing us. Ollie Birch for the music. Gilad Visotsky for the graphics. Join us next time when we interview another guest for their insights on the relationship we have to our bodies, sex, and of course, pleasure. pleasure. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> <laughs>